This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. It's time to go deeper into what's happening with Chicago area hospitals, public health efforts, and most importantly, what you need to know to stay safe. Now, a couple things to note as we get started. COVID numbers are on the rise in our area, with Chicago and Cook County back to medium risk in the last week. Flu cases are up locally as well. And the Chicago Department of Public Health released an interesting report on HIV AIDS, which we'll get into. Joining us now is Dr. Mia Termina, infectious disease specialist with Dooley Health and Care. Welcome back, doctor. Hey, Sasha. Happy belated birthday. Oh, thank you. <laughs> How'd you celebrate? Um, let's see. I celebrated uh, having brunch with uh, my girlfriends uh, to support Turning Point, and then my daughter and I and some friends went and saw Wicked in the city. It was fantastic. Oh, that's wonderful. So I wonder if the, the pandemic and all of the things happening, uh, if they affected your, your thinking towards how you were going to celebrate this year. Yeah, for sure. There's definitely more mindfulness going into crowded spaces, and having that mask on hand is definitely something that we did um, when we were in in crowded, you know, bottlenecking, getting into the theater before we got to our seats. And the rest of it, it is still nice to see uh, people being able to go out and enjoy some of these activities we haven't been able to do for some time. But certainly, Mm -hmm. it's not without hearing how many people are sick right now. So this will be the third year in a row that uh, we are going to get a lot of questions from our listeners on that same theme. Is it safe for me to travel right now for the holidays? And if I do, what precautions should I take? So what is your advice at this point? We absolutely have to be up to date on all vaccines. I'm just hearing left and right people that are like, oh, I just didn't get my flu shot yet. Or do I really need the bivalent booster? I got all the other boosters. Every available booster to you, you should receive at this point. That's going to include getting your seasonal influenza vaccine if you haven't already. And if you've been up to date on your booster shots but haven't received the bivalent booster, you really do need that. The best defense is going to be a good offense because we are limited in our therapeutics if we do become infected with these viruses that are going around right now. And then considering your own individual health risks. If you are someone that is otherwise healthy, up to date on vaccines, you know the folks that you're going to be gathering with are also mindful about vaccines and and otherwise healthy. That becomes a safer gathering than getting into large crowds and large spaces if you have underlying health issues, if you are not otherwise up to date, if you are not one who wants to wear a mask. Those are activities that are going to be higher risk and you really do need to spend some time thinking about the risk and benefit of of going out into these activities with lots of crowding. Tomorrow is National Influenza Immunization Day. So what's the latest on flu in our area and how important is it to, to get vaccinated? It is very important. I mean, the latest information on flu is the fact that we are seeing more flu cases than COVID cases in many of our hospitals right now. And RSV is kind of fading a little bit, but I still have cases of all of the above. The vast majority of people I am seeing with influenza A right now have not yet received their vaccine. Of course, you can have breakthrough cases, but those are generally more mild. The biggest issue is we are running a national shortage on therapeutics for influenza, including Tamiflu and Zofluza. Those are the two oral medications that we typically use to treat influenza, especially in those who are at risk of more severe influenza illnesses. And I think with uh, having so many more cases of influenza than we've seen in the last couple of years, even providers have sort of a knee-jerk reflex to just 
give a prescription for Tamiflu to literally everyone who tests positive. And that's not necessarily the case. We need to reserve these influenza therapeutics for those who are the most vulnerable and are at highest risk for more severe cases. But again, this is something that is, is considerably preventable and can dramatically decrease your symptoms if you do have a breakthrough infection. So get those vaccines. Yeah, we've recently seen uh, shortages of Tamiflu, uh, a drug that's used after someone does come down with the flu to help ease some of those symptoms. Do you know the latest there? Yeah, there definitely is. All the hospitals are impacted by it as well. We are not um, prescribing Tamiflu. In some cases, even in hospitalized patients, if they are not otherwise immune suppressed, And Tamiflu is not something that works very well at all if it's given beyond about 72 hours uh, after diagnosis or after symptom onset. So for somebody that's immune suppressed or has significant underlying health issues or is perhaps pregnant, which is another risk factor, prescription of Tamiflu in the first one to two days should be prioritized for those folks. Otherwise, most people, it's supportive care only, and we are going to reach a point where our available therapeutics, we're just not able to get our hands on them, and uh, those who really, really need them might be the ones that have to suffer. Beyond the flu, Chicago and Cook County are are back to medium risk for COVID-19, so just remind us what that means. It's been a while since we've heard that. Yeah, the vast majority of the state is at medium risk. There are several counties as well that have entered high risk. What that means for the majority of us is to have a lower threshold uh, to be masked. Um, And, you know, it means that we're seeing hospitalizations with an uptick. We're seeing uh, a number of cases within the population also trending up. And this is where the recommendation falls when you're in a medium risk category and you have underlying health issues to strongly consider masking in all public uh, spaces, especially indoor spaces where there's less ventilation and less um, uh, of an opportunity to uh, have some social distancing. I understand there's also a shortage of a drug. And let me make sure I get this right. Bebtilovimab? Yes, that's very good. (laughs) Very good. Um, Not that it's a shortage of a drug, but bebtilovimab has now uh, lost its FDA approval for the treatment of COVID. Um, it, It was in short supply before, but to be clear, all of these monoclonal antibodies that we've been using over the last two and a half years we have to make sure that they are effective against what's going around. And we knew as soon as we flipped from Omicron BA5 being the dominant strain to Omicron BQ.1 and Omicron BQ.1.1, the two dominant strains right now. Unfortunately, our monoclonal antibodies are not effective against those strains. So when we reach a point where a monoclonal antibody therapy is going to have significantly less than 50% efficacy because of what's going around, we got to that line in the sand and it's no longer uh, approved for use. So we do not have a monoclonal antibody product at this point that can be used for treatment. Crane Chicago Business recently reported that the the federal government's giving Illinois $86 million, $28 million of it going to the Chicago Department of Public Health. That sounds like a good thing, isn't it? 
It is a good thing. You know, hopefully a lot of that money is going to go towards uh, recruiting and retaining some excellent talent because we know this whole world is, is short-staffed right now, and especially at the level of boots on the ground in our health departments and facilities, the need for infection control nursing, the need for epidemiologists, the need for people to really work through a lot of the strains of this pandemic. I think that a, a considerable amount of that funding is going to go towards staffing and employment and things that we really need. And we know earmarking money for a problem, it doesn't always lead to improvement. So what do you think that state and local health departments need to prioritize right now as we go into winter? Yeah, as we prioritize going into the the winter and and getting funding out, I think that we need to kind of re-up our educational plans and educational delivery on the fact that We do need these vaccines. I know we have vaccine fatigue, but to, again, reemphasize that everyone over the age of five is eligible for a bivalent booster if they're at least two months from a completion of their series or uh, from any other boosters. And I think that we need to uh, redouble our efforts again into our uh, lesser advantaged communities, our um, black and brown communities as well, you know, putting some funding towards outreach, some funding towards getting these vaccines to the individuals who are not able to otherwise get to the vaccines. That's going to be really critical. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and we are talking with infectious disease specialist Dr. Mia Termina about the latest on COVID-19, other respiratory illnesses, and more. Uh, New data out from the Chicago Department of Public Health show a small increase in HIV diagnoses, but historic drop in new AIDS diagnoses. So as an infectious disease physician, what's your perspective on that report? So a lot of it is um, not a surprise to me from what I've been seeing trend-wise over the last several years. We are in a magnificently different place with HIV treatment, diagnoses, all of the above than we were many years ago, now 40-plus years into this pandemic, into this epidemic. So with HIV, I do see an uptick in cases because over time we've had easier access to testing. We have more people who are very much uh, on top of their own personal health and they are getting tested more frequently. So we are catching cases sooner than we would before in many cases in asymptomatic individuals. We now have a number of therapeutics that can be used as pre-exposure prophylaxis. So for individuals at higher risk who are taking regular medications to prevent HIV, they're getting tested more frequently. And again, uh, in those rare cases, uh, we are seeing um, HIV positive uh, results sooner in patients that are at highest risk before they start their pre-exposure prophylaxis therapies. And when it comes to advanced HIV or AIDS, individuals that have Um, significant illnesses as a result of their HIV disease and have likely been infected for a long period of time before they develop those AIDS-defining illnesses, our therapeutics are better tolerated and they are as easy as one pill a day or as one injection every other month. So people are really being very compliant with their treatments and we just simply are not seeing cases of AIDS for the most part. I tell all of my patients, that if they are diagnosed with HIV today, all they have to do is is follow the rules and and take their medications, get their labs done, and they will have a long, full life without ever having AIDS-defining illnesses. Yeah. Let's dig into that a bit more because, you know, HIV and AIDS, they've been surrounded by stigma as well as inequities, right? And that new report I just mentioned from the the public health department, it, it states Black Chicagoans 
continue to represent the majority of both HIV and AIDS cases. So since you started your career, doctor, as an infectious disease specialist, what progress have you seen? I see the most progress in my younger patients. So in patients that are in their teens, 20s, 30s, we're starting to break that stigma the way it's been broken in perhaps white communities a little bit sooner. In the black communities, younger black kids coming out, uh, being open about their sexuality, their sexual preferences, are, are becoming more normalized than they were years ago. Still, there is a disparity between our black and brown communities and our white communities when it comes to the stigma associated not only with HIV AIDS, but the stigma associated with loving the same gender. And because of that, we have a lot of people who remain closeted or they um, uh, have sexual behaviors that are a little more promiscuous because they are not necessarily as open about who they are and for fear of losing resources, losing family members, losing support. And because of that, they're not uh, as likely to get pre-exposure prophylaxis. They're not as likely to um, come in and get tested. And that's why we see a lot of these disparities. But the kids, the youth, the young ones, they give me hope. I'm seeing more and more uh, people of color in my clinics, younger and younger, Mm -hmm. uh, with more accepting friends and families. And that's been outstanding. That report concludes with uh, Commissioner Allison Arwoody starting or stating, quote, we're at a place now where getting to zero new HIV cases is a reachable goal within our lifetimes. That's a bold goal. What do you think? That is, that is a bold goal. You know, we still talk about this whole idea of a vaccine and, and a vaccine for HIV, you know, 40 plus years into this pandemic is something that's not uh, something that I feel is obtainable in my lifetime. I wish I could say that that would be differently. However, we now know, and we have known for a while, U equals U, which is if you are undetectable, if your HIV is undetectable, you cannot transmit it to somebody else. So undetectable is untransmissible. And because of that, if we can identify who has HIV, get them treated and get them to undetectable, they're not only going to live a long, healthy life, but they are not going to be able to infect another individual. So that's how we get to zero. We get to zero by finding all of these cases, by normalizing HIV testing. There are still some places where in order to HIV test someone, even in a hospital setting, I have to have them sign a consent. I don't have to have them sign a consent for literally any other blood draw I'm doing. It's like it almost stigmatizes the testing a little bit more. Um, We need to work towards uh, having different um, regulations and blood donation to allow people who uh, love the same gender Mm -hmm. uh, who are HIV negative to be able to donate blood. These are very old ways of doing things that are not appropriate at this time. And these are going to be ways that we do reach that possibility of no new cases of HIV in our lifetime, which would be unbelievable. That was infectious disease specialist Dr. Mia Termina with Dooley Health and Care. Thank you so much, doctor. Have a good week.